Prime members, you can listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too until I got Rocket Money. Rocket Money helped me see all the subscriptions I'm paying for, and it was eye-opening. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it all adds up so quickly. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year, with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. More than 350 lawsuits against social media companies are expected to move forward this year. Tonight, you'll hear from some of the families who are taking them on. We're being gaslighted by the big tech companies that it's our fault. When really what we should be doing as parents is banding together and say, no, you need to do better. I'm doing everything I can. You need to do better. I will sit here and speak truth to you. Think you know Prince Harry's story? Think again. From recent royal infighting, literally with Prince William. He was shouting at me, I was shouting back at him, and he snapped, and he pushed me to the floor. To why his marriage to Meghan Markle has been relentless tabloid fodder. The fact that she was American, an actress, divorced, black, biracial, with a black mother. But all those things within the family also were sources of mistrust. Is that accurate? But also the British press and numerous other people was like, he's changed. She must be a witch. Tonight, Prince Harry on 60 Minutes. I'm Leslie Stahl. I'm Bill Whitaker. I'm Anderson Cooper. I'm Sharon Alfonsi. I'm John Wertheim. I'm Cecilia Vega. I'm Scott Pelley. Those stories tonight on 60 Minutes. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. This podcast is supported by FedEx. 
FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. When whistleblower Francis Haugen pulled back the curtain on Facebook in the fall of 2021, thousands of pages of internal documents showed troubling signs that the social media giant knew its platforms could be negatively impacting youth and were doing little to effectively change it. With around 21 million American adolescents on social media, parents took note. Now, families are suing social media. Since we first reported this story last December, the number of families pursuing lawsuits has grown to over 2,000. More than 350 lawsuits are expected to move forward this year against TikTok, Snapchat, YouTube, Roblox, and Meta, the parent company to Instagram and Facebook. Tonight, you will hear from some of the families suing social media. We want to warn you that some of the content in this story is alarming, but we thought it was important to include because parents say the posts impacted their kids' mental health and in some cases helped lead to the death of their children. They're holding our children hostage and they're seeking and preying on them. Preying on them? Yes. The Spence family is suing social media giant Meta Kathleen and Jeff Spence say Instagram led their daughter Alexis into depression and to an eating disorder at the age of 12. We realized that we were slowly losing her. We really had no comprehension to how severe social media had affected our daughter. She was being drawn into this hidden space and this dark world. It began after the Spences, both middle school teachers from Long Island, New York, gave 11-year-old Alexis a cell phone to keep in touch with them after school. We had very strict rules from the moment she had the phone. The phone was never allowed in the room at night. We would keep the phone in the hall. We checked the phone. We put restrictions on the phone. I would wait for my parents to fall asleep, and then I would just sit in the hallway, or I would sneak my phone in my room. I wasn't allowed to use a lot of apps, and they had a lot of the parental controls on. And so how quickly did you figure out a way around the restrictions? <laughs> Pretty quickly. Hoping to connect and keep up with friends, Alexis joined Instagram. Instagram policy mandates users are 13 years old. Alexis was 11. I thought you had to be 13. It asks you, are you 13 years or older? I checked the box, yes, and then just kept going. And there was never any checks? No, no verification or anything like that. If I had picked up your phone, would I have seen the Instagram app on there? No. There were apps that you could use to disguise it as another app. So you could download like a calculator, calculator, but it's really Instagram. There was always some workaround. And she was outwitting you. Right. She was outwitting us. She was addicted to social media and they were, we couldn't stop it. It was much bigger than us. Now, 20, Alexis says an innocent search on Instagram for fitness routines led her into a dark world. It started as like fitness stuff, and then I guess that would spark the algorithm to show me diets. It then started to shift into eating disorders. What were you seeing? 
people would post photos of themselves who were very sickly or just very thin and using them to promote eating disorders. These are some of the images that were sent to Alexis through Instagram's algorithms, which process the user's browsing history and personal data, then push content to them they never directly asked for. What did you learn from looking at these pro-anorexic websites? A lot. <laughs> Learning about diet pills and how to lose weight when you're 11 and going through puberty and like your body is supposed to be changing. Um, it's hard. When did that stop being something that you looked at and start being something that you were doing to yourself? Within months. Did it normalize it for you? Did you think, oh, well, other people are yeah, doing this? Yeah, definitely. Like, they needed help. I needed help. And instead of getting help, I was getting advice on how to continue. Smile nice. By the time she was 12, Alexis had developed an eating disorder. She had multiple Instagram accounts and says she would spend five hours a day scrolling through the app, even though it often made her feel depressed. She drew this picture of herself in her diary crying, surrounded by her phone and laptop, with thoughts reading, stupid, fat, kill yourself. I was struggling with my mental health. I was struggling with my depression and my body image. And social media did not help with my confidence. And if anything, it... It made me, like, hate myself. It all came to a head her sophomore year when Alexis posted on Instagram that she didn't deserve to exist. A friend alerted a school counselor. That was the scariest day of our lives. I got a call to come to the school, and I went there, and they were just showing me all of these Instagram posts of how Alexis wanted to kill herself and hurt herself. And if Instagram is really has all the software to protect them, why was that not flagged? Why was that not identified? This previously unpublished internal document reveals Facebook knew Instagram was pushing girls to dangerous content. It says that in 2021, an Instagram employee ran an internal investigation on eating disorders by opening up a false account as a 13-year-old girl looking for diet tips. She was led to this content and recommendations to follow Skinny Binge and Apple Core Anorexic. Other memos show Facebook employees raising concerns about company research that revealed Instagram made one in three teen girls feel worse about their bodies, and the teens who used the app felt higher rates of anxiety and depression. What was it like when you saw those Facebook papers for the first time? Sickening. The fact that I was sitting there struggling and hoping to save my daughter's life, and they had all these documents behind closed doors that they could have protected her, and they chose to ignore that research. Attorney Matt Bergman represents the Spence family. He started the Social Media Victims Law Center after reading the Facebook papers and is now working with more than 1,800 families who are pursuing lawsuits against social media companies like Meta. Time and time again when they have an, uh, an opportunity to choose between safety of our kids and profits, uh, they always choose profits. This summer, Bergman and his team plan on starting the discovery process for the federal case against Meta and other social media companies a multi-million dollar suit that he says is more about changing policy than financial compensation. 
Bergman spent 25 years as a product liability attorney, specializing in asbestos and mesothelioma cases. He argues the design of social media platforms is ultimately hurting kids. They have intentionally designed a product uh, that is addictive. They understand that if uh, children stay online, they make more money. It doesn't matter how harmful the material is. So the fact that these kids ended up seeing the things that they saw that were so disturbing wasn't by accident. It was by design. Absolutely. This is not a coincidence. Isn't it the parent's job to monitor this stuff? Well, of course it is. I'm all for parental responsibility, but these products are explicitly designed to evade parental authority. So what needs to be done? Number one is age and identity verification. You know, that technology exists. You know, if people are trying to hook up on Tinder, there's technology to make sure that uh, the people are who they say they are. Number two would be turn off the algorithms. Uh, you know, there's no reason why Alexis Spence, who was interested in exercise, should have been directed toward anorexic content. Number three uh, would be warnings uh, so that uh, uh, parents uh, know what's going on. Let's be realistic. You're never going to have social media platforms be 100% safe. But, you know, these changes would make them safer. In her favorite pose. Mm. <laughs> right now, the Roberts family says social media is not safe for kids. England Roberts was the baby in a large family, the center of her parents' Tony and Brandy's world. Next time you come my way. She made every day special. Every day. Every day felt like Christmas here. But England's life online told a different story. As the pandemic played out, England wrote about struggles with self-worth, relationships, and mental health. One August night in 2020, just a few hours after Tony and Brandy kissed their 14-year-old smiling daughter goodnight, Brandy received a text from a parent of one of England's friends who was worried about England and suggested they check on her. We went upstairs and we checked and her door was locked and that was kind of odd. I took the key from the top and we opened the door and no England. And when I turned around, that's when I found her. When you find your child hanging and you are in that moment in disbelief is just no way not our baby not our child and then ultimately i fault myself why do you fault yourself i'm dead supposed to know prior but to that night you had no idea that she was depressed not not even close like the Spence family, Tony Roberts started connecting the dots after the Facebook papers came out. I knew her password. And began digging through his daughter's phone for answers. He found an Instagram post sent to England from a friend. There was a video. And that video was a lady on Instagram pretending to hang herself. And that's ultimately what our child did. Because you ask yourself, how did she come up with this idea? And then when I did the research, there it was. She saw it on Instagram. It was on her phone. If that video wasn't sent to her, because she, she copied it, she wouldn't have, she wouldn't have had, had a way of knowing how to do that certain way of hanging yourself. Nearly a year and a half after England's death, that hanging video was still circulating on Instagram with at least 1,500 views. 
Tony Roberts says it was taken down in December 2021. The Roberts are suing Meta, the parent company, to Instagram. If they so-called monitor and do things, how could it stay on that site? Because they're part of their policy states they don't allow for self-harm photos, videos, things of that nature. So who's holding them accountable? Meta declined our request for an interview, but its global head of safety gave us this statement, telling us we want teens to be safe online and that Instagram doesn't allow content promoting self-harm or eating disorders, and that Meta has improved Instagram's age verification technology. But when 60 Minutes ran this test last fall, our colleague was able to lie about her age and sign up for Instagram as a 13-year-old with no verifications. We were also able to search for skinny and harmful content. And while this prompt came up asking if we wanted help, we instead clicked see posts and easily found content promoting anorexia and self-harm. Showing more rigorous change is needed, a challenge the Spence and Roberts families are ready for. We're being gaslighted by the big tech companies that it's our fault, when really what we should be doing as parents is banding together and say, no, you need to do better. I'm doing everything I can. You need to do better. We've lost, we've learned, but what's going to stop these companies from continuing to let things happen if they don't change or be forced to make a change? Social media is a silent killer for our children's generation. That's the conclusion I've come to. Why is everyone in power that can help change this? Why is it not changing quick enough? If our children are truly our future, what's the wait? That change may finally be coming. Late last month, the Surgeon General issued a stark warning that social media is posing a profound risk of harm to the mental health and well-being of America's youth and is calling on the government and tech companies to implement tougher standards for use. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. 
Prince Harry and his wife, Meghan, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, stepped back from their royal duties in 2020. But last month, Prince Harry attended his father's coronation ceremony. It was an awkward appearance for the 38-year-old prince after the release earlier this year of his searing memoir, Spare, the title a nod to his backup role in the line of succession. As we first reported in January, the book is a stunning break with royal protocol. It's a deeply personal account of Prince Harry's decades-long struggle with grief after the death of his mother, Princess Diana, and a revealing look at his fractured relationships with his father, King Charles, his stepmother, Queen Camilla, and his brother, Prince William, the heir to his spare. You write about a, a contentious meeting you had with him in 2021. You said, I looked at Willie, really looked at him, maybe for the first time since we were boys. I took it all in. His familiar scowl, which had always been his default in dealings with me, his alarming baldness, more advanced than my own, his famous resemblance to mummy, which was fading with time, with age. It's pretty cutting. I don't see it as cutting at all. Um, you know, my brother and I love each other. I love him deeply. There has been a lot of pain between the two of us, especially the last six years. Um, none of anything that I've written and anything I've included is ever intended to hurt my family. But it does give a full picture of the situation as we were growing up. And also squashes this idea that somehow my wife was the one that destroyed the relationship between these two brothers. I think so many people around the world watched you and your brother grow up and feel like you two were inseparable. And yet in reading the book, you have lived separate lives from the time your mom died. Mm -hmm. Even when you were in the same school, in high school. Sibling rivalry. Your brother told you, pretend we don't know each other. Yeah, and at the time it hurt. I couldn't make sense of it. I was like, what do you mean? We're now at the same school. Like, I haven't seen you for ages. Now we get to hang out together. He's like, no, 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 when we're at school, we don't know each other. And I took that personally. But yes, you're absolutely right. You hit the nail on the head. Like, we had a very similar traumatic experience. And then we, we dealt with it two very different ways. William tried to talk to you occasionally about your mom. Mm. But as a child, you could not, you couldn't respond. For me, it was never a case of, I don't want to talk about it with you. I just don't know how to talk don't about talk it. About I never, ever thought that maybe talking about it with my brother or with anybody else at that point would be therapeutic. In August 1997, Harry and William were vacationing in Scotland with their father. Harry was 12, William 15. They were asleep at Balmoral Castle on August 31st when Harry was awakened by his father, who told him his mother had been in a car crash in Paris. In the book you write, he says, they tried, darling boy, I'm afraid she didn't make it. Mm. These phrases remain in my mind like darts in a board, you say. Did, did you cry? No. I never shed a single tear at that point. I was in shock. You know, you're 12 years old, sort of 7, 7.30 in the morning, early. Your father comes in, sits on your bed, puts his hand on your knee and tells you there's been an accident. Um, I, I couldn't believe. And you write in the book that Pa didn't hug me. He wasn't great at showing emotions under normal circumstances, but his hand did fall once more on my knee, and he said, it's going to be okay. But after that, nothing was okay for a long time. No, nothing, nothing was okay. Harry says his memories of the next few days are fragmented, but he does remember this, greeting mourners outside Kensington Palace in London 
the day before his mother's funeral. When you see those videos now, what do you think? I think it's bizarre because I see William and me smiling. I remember the guilt that I felt. Guilt about? The fact that the people that we were meeting were showing more emotion than we were showing. Maybe more emotion than we even felt. They were crying, but you weren't. There was a lot of tears. And I talk about how wet people's hands were. And I couldn't understand it at first. Their hands were wet. Their hands were wet from wiping their own tears away. I do remember one of the strangest parts to it was taking flowers from people and then placing those flowers with the rest of them as if I was some sort of middle person for their grief. And that really stood out for me. The funeral on a cool September morning was watched by as many as two and a half billion people around the world. Perhaps the most indelible image, Prince Harry and his brother walking behind their mother's casket on its way to Westminster Abbey. What do you remember about that walk? How quiet it was. I remember the occasional wail and screaming of someone. I remember the horse hooves on the road. The bridles of the horses, the gun carriage, the wheels, the occasional gravel stone underneath your shoe, but mainly the the silence. After the service, Princess Diana's body was brought for burial to her family's ancestral estate, Althorpe. Once my mother's coffin actually went into the ground, that was the first time that I actually cried. Yeah, there was never another time. All through your teenage years, you you didn't cry about it? No. You, You didn't believe she was dead? For a, long, for a long time, I just refused to accept that she was, she was gone. Um, part of, you know, she would never do this to us, but also part of maybe this is all part of a plan. I mean, you, you really believed that maybe she had just decided to disappear for a time? For a time, and then that she would call us and we would go and join her. Yeah. How long did you believe that? Years. Many, many years. And William and I talked about it as well. He had, um, he had similar thoughts. You write in the book, you say... I'd often say it to myself first thing in the morning, maybe this is the day. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is the day that she's going to mm-hmm. reappear. Yeah, hope. I had huge amounts of hope. He held on to that hope into adulthood. When Harry was 20, he asked to see the police report about the crash that killed his mother, her boyfriend Dodi Al-Fayed, and their driver Henri Paul while they were being pursued by paparazzi in a Paris tunnel. The files contained photographs of the crash scene. Why did you want to see it? Mainly proof. Proof that she was in the car. Proof that she was injured. And proof that the very paparazzi that chased her into the tunnel were the ones that were taking photographs photographs of her lying half dead on the back seat of the car. You write, I hadn't been aware before this moment, talking about looking at the pictures of the crash scene, that the last thing mummy saw on this earth was a flashbulb. Yeah. That's what you saw in the pictures? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, they were... The pictures showed the reflection of a group of photographers taking photographs through the window, and the reflection of the window was, was them. He only saw some of the crash photos. His private secretary and advisor dissuaded him from looking at the rest. All I saw was the back of my mum's head uh, slumped on the back seat. There were other more gruesome photographs, but I will be eternally grateful to him for denying me the ability to inflict pain on myself by saying that, because that's the kind of stuff that sticks in your mind forever. Harry says he believed his mother might still be alive until he was 23, 
and visited Paris for the first time. You told your driver, I want to go to the tunnel mm -hmm. where my mom died. I wanted to see whether it was possible, driving at the speed that Henry Paul was driving, that you could lose control of a car and plow into a pillar, killing almost everybody in that car. I need to take this journey. I need to ride the same route. The same tunnel, the same speed. All of it. Your mother was going. Yeah. Because William and I had already been told the event was like a bicycle chain. If you remove one of those chains, the end result would not have happened. And the paparazzi chasing was part of that. But yet, everybody got away with it. Harry writes he and his brother weren't satisfied with the results of a 2006 investigation by London's Metropolitan Police, concluding Diana's driver, Henri Paul, had been drinking, and the crash was a, quote, tragic accident. William and I considered reopening the inquest because there were so many gaps and so many holes in it, um, which just didn't add up and didn't make sense. Would you still like to do that? I don't even know if it's an option now, but no, I think... Would I like to do that now? It's a hell of a question, Anderson. Um, do you feel you have the answers that you need to have about what happened to your mom? Truth be known, no. I don't think I do. And I don't think my brother does either. I don't think the world does. Um, do I need any more than I already know? No. I don't think it would change much. Harry now says it wasn't until he served in combat with the British Army in Afghanistan that he finally found purpose and a sense of normalcy. My military career saved me in many regard. How so? Got me out of the spotlight from the, from the UK press. Um, I was able to focus on a purpose larger than myself, to be wearing the same uniform as everybody else, to feel normal for the first time in my life, and accomplish some of the biggest challenges that I ever had. You know, I was trained to become an Apache helicopter pilot. Um, you don't get a pass for being a prince. The Apache doesn't give a crap about who you are. No, there's, there's no prince autopilot button that you can press <laughs> and just <laughs> takes you away. Um, I was a really good candidate for the military. I was a young man in my 20s, um, suffering from shock, but I was now in the front seat of an Apache, shooting it, flying it, monitoring four radios simultaneously, and being there to save and help anybody that was on the, on the ground with a radio, screaming, we need support, we need air support. Um, that was my calling. I felt healing from that, weirdly. And that multitasking, the brain work of that, that felt good to you. It felt like I was turning pain into a purpose. I didn't have the awareness at the time that I was living my life in adrenaline. And that was the case from age 12, from the moment that I was told that my mum had died. You say war didn't begin in Afghanistan, it began in August 1997. Yeah, the war for me, unknowingly, was when my mum died. Who were you fighting? Myself. I had a huge amount of frustration and blame towards the British press for their part in it. Even at, tw I mean, at 12, I mean, at that young, you were feeling that toward the British press? Yeah, I mean, it was obvious to us as kids, the British press's part in our mother's misery. And I had a lot of anger inside of me that luckily I never expressed to anybody, but I resorted to drinking heavily because I wanted to numb the feeling or I wanted to distract myself from how, whatever I was thinking. And I would you know, resort to drugs as well. Harry admits he smoked pot and used cocaine. 
and writes that in his late twenties he felt hopeless and lost. There was this weight on my chest that I felt for so many years, and I was never able to cry. So I was constantly trying to find a way to cry, but even even sitting on my sofa, and going over as many memories as I could muster up about my mum, and sometimes I watch videos online of your mum of my mum hoping to cry. Yep. And you couldn't. I couldn't. He sought out help from a therapist for the first time seven years ago, and reveals he's also tried more experimental treatments. You write in the book about psychedelics, ayahuasca, psilocybin, mushrooms. You know, I, I would never recommend people to do this uh, recreationally, but doing it with the right people, if you are suffering from a huge amount of loss, grief, or trauma, then these things have a way of working as a medicine. They showed you something. What did they show you? For me, they cleared the, winds, the windscreen, the windshield, the misery of loss. They cleared away this idea that I had in my head that, that my mother, that I needed to cry to prove to my mother that I missed her, when in fact, what she wanted was for me to be happy. Prince Harry says he's found that happiness with his wife in California, but as you'll hear in a moment, he's far from at peace with the royal family. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. As we first reported in January, Prince Harry's memoir, Spare, is anything but spare in its unflattering portrayal of the royal family, especially his stepmother, Camilla. She married then Prince Charles in 2005, though the two had been romantically involved on and off for decades. When Princess Diana famously referred to Camilla as the third person in her marriage, the British tabloids ran with it, and Prince Harry has never forgotten. She was the villain. She was the third person in the marriage, she needed to rehabilitate her image. You and your brother both directly asked your dad not to marry Camilla. Yes. Why? We didn't think it was necessary. We thought that it was gonna cause more harm than good. And that if he was now with his person, that surely that's enough. Why go that far when you don't necessarily need to? We wanted him to be happy, and we saw how happy he was with her. So at the time, it was okay. You wrote that she started a campaign in the British press to pave the way for a marriage, and you wrote, I even wanted Camilla to be happy. Maybe she'd be less dangerous if she was happy. Mm -hmm. How was she dangerous? Because of the need for her to rehabilitate her image. That made her dangerous? 
that made her dangerous because of the connections that she was forging within the British press. And there was open willingness on both sides to trade of information. And with a family built on hierarchy, and with her on the way to being queen consort, there was going to be people or bodies left in the street because of that. Harry says over the years, he was one of those bodies. He accuses Camilla and even his father at times of using him or William to get better tabloid coverage for themselves. Prince Harry writes, Camilla, quote, sacrificed me on her personal PR altar. If you are led to believe as a member of the family that being on the front page, having positive headlines, positive stories written about you is going to improve your reputation or increase the chances of you being accepted as monarch by the British public, then that's what you're going to do. In his book, Harry writes that when he introduced Meghan Markle to his family in 2016, his father initially took a liking to her. But William was skeptical, disdainfully referring to Meghan as an American actress. Though Harry doesn't specify who, he says other members of the royal family were uneasy as well. Right from the beginning, before they even had a chance to get to know her. And the UK press jumped on that. And here we are. And what was that based on, that mistrust? The fact that she was American, an actress, divorced, black, biracial, with a black mother. Those were just four of the typical stereotypes that is a, becomes a feeding frenzy for the British press. But all those things in the, within the family also were, were sources of mistrust. Yes. You know, my family read the tabloids. You know, it's, it's laid out uh, at breakfast when everyone comes together. So whether you walk around saying you believe it or not, it's still, it's still leaving an imprint in your mind. So if you have that judgment based on a stereotype right at the beginning, it's very, very hard to get over that. And a large part of it for the family, but also the British press and numerous other people is like, he's changed. She must be a witch. He's changed. Um, as opposed to, yeah, I did change. And I'm really glad I changed. Because rather than getting drunk, falling out of clubs, taking drugs, I've now found the love of my life. And I now have the opportunity to start a family with her. Soon after their relationship became public, Harry insisted on putting out a statement, condemning some of the tabloid coverage of Meghan and what he called, quote, the racial undertones of comment pieces. You write that your dad and your brother, William, were furious with you Mm -hmm. for doing that. Why? They felt as though it made them look bad. They felt as though they didn't have a chance or weren't able to do that for their partners. What Meghan had to go through was similar in some part to what Kate and what Camilla went through. Very different circumstances. But then you add in the race element, which was what the press, British press, jumped on straight away. I went into this incredibly naive. I had no idea the British press was so bigoted. Hell, I was probably bigoted before the relationship with with Meghan. You think you were bigoted before the relationship with Meghan? I, I don't know. Put it this way. I didn't see what I now see. They were married in May 2018 in a ceremony that seemed to promise a more modern and inclusive royal family, and given the titles Duke and Duchess of Sussex. But behind the scenes, according to Harry, William's mistrust of Meghan only worsened. Did you ever try to meet with William and Kate to to defuse the tension? Yep. How did that meeting go? Um, Not particularly well. In early 2019, Harry writes the rancor between William and him exploded at Harry's cottage on the grounds of Kensington Palace. Your arguments with your brother became physical. 
Um, it was a build-up of uh, frustration, I think, on his part. Um, it was at a time where he was being told certain things by people within his office. And at the same time, he was consuming a lot of the tabloid press, a lot of the stories. And he had a few issues which were based not on reality. And I was defending my wife and he was coming for my wife. She wasn't there at the time, but through the things that he was saying, I was defending myself and we moved from one room into the kitchen and his frustrations were growing and growing and growing. He was shouting at me, I was shouting back at him. It wasn't nice, it wasn't pleasant at all. And he snapped and he pushed me to the floor. He knocked you over? He knocked me over. Um, I landed on the dog bowl. You cut your back? Yeah, I cut my back. I didn't know about it at the time. But um, yeah, he, he apologized afterwards. It was a pretty nasty experience, but... He asked you not to tell anybody, not to tell Megan. Yeah, and, and I wouldn't have done. I didn't until she, until she saw on, the, on my back. She goes, what's that? I was like, uh, what? I actually didn't know what she was talking about. And I looked in the mirror, I was like, well, because I'd never, I hadn't seen it. Megan has said constant criticism and pressure led her in the winter of 2019 to contemplate suicide. The thing that's terrified me the most is history repeating itself. You really feared that your wife, Megan... Yes, I feared, I feared a lot that the end result, the fact that I lost my mum when I was 12 years old, could easily happen against my wife. In January 2020, Prince Harry and Meghan announced they intended to, in their words, step back as senior members of the royal family. They moved to California three months later. Then there was the headline-grabbing interview with Oprah Winfrey and a deal with Netflix worth a reported $100 million. Critics say the Duke and Duchess are cashing in on their royal titles while they still can. Why not renounce your titles as Duke and Duchess? And what difference would that make? One of the criticisms that you've received is that, okay, fine, you want to move to California, you want to step back from the institutional role. Why be so public? Why reveal conversations you've had with your father or with your brother? You say you tried to do this privately. And every single time I've tried to do it privately, there have been briefings and leakings and planting of stories against me and my wife. You know, the family motto is never complain, never explain, but it's just a motto. And it doesn't really hold... There's a lot of complaining and a lot of explaining. And private being done in through leaks. Through leaks. Prince Harry continues to claim he would never leak against his family. So now, trying to speak a language that perhaps they understand, I will sit here and speak truth to you with the words that come out of my mouth rather than using someone else, an unnamed source, to feed in lies or a narrative to a tabloid media that literally radicalizes its readers to then potentially cause harm to my family, my wife, my kids. In December, the British tabloid The Sun published a vicious column about Meghan written by a TV host. He said, I hate her. At night, I'm unable to sleep as I lie there grinding my teeth and dreaming of the day where she is made to walk naked through the streets of every town in Britain while the crowds chant shame and throw lumps of excrement at her. Did that surprise you? Did it surprise me? No. Is it shocking? Yes. I mean, thank you for proving our point. <laughs> Has there been any response from the palace? No, and that comes a point when silence is betrayal. Harry has been back in the United Kingdom, 
He was in London last September for a charity event when the palace announced his grandmother, the Queen, was under medical supervision at Balmoral Castle in Scotland. I asked my brother, I said, what are your plans? How are you and Kate getting up there? Um, and then a couple of hours later, you know, all of the fam family members that live within the Windsor and Ascot area were jumping on a plane together, a plane with 12, 14, maybe 16 seats. You were not invited on that plane? I was not invited. By the time Harry got to Balmoral on his own, the Queen was dead. I walked into the hall and my aunt was there to greet me and she asked me if I wanted to see her. I thought about it for about five seconds, thinking, is this a good idea? And I was like, you know what? You can, you can do this. You need to, you need to say goodbye. Um, so I went upstairs, took my jacket off, and walked in and just spent some time with her alone. Where was she? She was in her bedroom. I was, actually, I was really happy for her because she'd finished life. She'd completed life, and her husband was, was waiting for her, and the two of them were buried together. As they had 25 years earlier, Harry and William found themselves walking together, but apart, this time behind their grandmother's casket. Do you speak to William now? Do you text? Uh, currently, no. But I look forward to, I look forward to us being able to find peace. How I long has it been since you spoke? Um, a while. Do you speak to your dad? We, aren't, we haven't spoken for quite a while. Um, no, not recently. Can you see a day when you would return as a full-time member of the royal family? No, I can't see that happening. In the book, you call this a, a full-scale rupture. Can it be healed? Yes, the board is very much in their court. But, you know, Megan and I have continued to say that we will openly apologize for anything that we did wrong. But every time we ask that question, no one's telling us the specifics or anything. There needs to be a constructive conversation, one that can happen in private that doesn't get leaked. I assume they would say, well, how can we trust you? How do we know that you're not going to reveal whatever conversations we have in an interview somewhere? This all started with them briefing daily against my wife with lies to the point of where my wife and I had to run away from, our, from my country. It's hard, I think, for anybody to imagine a family dynamic that is so Game of Thrones without dragons. I don't watch Game of Thrones, but, oh, there's, okay. def but there's definitely dragons. And that's, again, the third party, which is the British press. So ultimately, without the British press as part of this, we would probably still be a fairly dysfunctional family, like a lot are. <laughs> but at the heart of it, there is a family, without question. Um, and I really look forward to having that family element back I look forward to having a relationship with my brother. I look forward to having a relationship with my father and other members of my family. You want that? That's all I've ever asked for. We reached out to Buckingham Palace for comment back in January. The palace has still not made any official comment about Prince Harry's book. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm Sharon Alfonsi. We'll be back next week with another edition of 60 Minutes. If you like 60 Minutes, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.